Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune and I will be your host today on Game Changers and I want to get right into the show by welcoming our guest, Chris Bobbitt. Chris is the Vice President at Technical Ascent. Chris, please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your company. Thanks, Mike. Um, I've been in the sort of government consulting, government service business for more than a decade. I'm a former DOD employee myself. I've had the good fortune to be a principal in a number of a billion-dollar impact projects, um, both at DOD and elsewhere, and you know, have really been successful because we took a customer-first, mission-first approach. And I don't mean the customer who's writing the contract, but the end customer of you know, the work that they're doing, um, designing that experience the right way and flowing that through into the program to really design something that's that's built for success. Technical Ascent, that's everything of what we do. So it starts with designing the right experience to achieve the mission, um, following that through with a effective service implementation as a thing from a program program implementation, um, and then really and then really honing in on how you manage and improve that service once it's in operations. Uh, we're a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business, and I'm very pleased to be here, Michael. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. Well, well, thank you, Chris. You know, and this is actually a retake. We tried to shoot this a while back and had some technical issues, so uh, it's uh, it's so good that we were able to reconnect because I think you have so much value in talking about not only what we're going to talk about today, kind of the success formula, the, one of those pieces, but uh, just in the general business aspect of things that you guys bring. And I, I love how you guys hone in on customer service over there. And I know that that has been, you know, the drum you guys are always pounding about the end user. And it's it, it's rare. You know, it's rare that people focus on the customer as the end user. They're always focused on, you know, fulfilling a contract and, and kind of getting that, you know, the check boxes. But you guys are, are more than that. You guys are really focused on the end user and the impact of not to say the cliche word, but the warfighter, the guy's actually on the ground doing the business. So I love what you guys stand for and what you guys are about. So today we're going to be talking about kind of that government success formula. And 
part of that is finding the right mix of revenue for your business. So for the sake of the discussion today, I'm going to break revenue into into two categories here. Uh, you know, the first is contracts. And the second one is contract vehicles. And I always look at contracts as direct work. They're they're short term and they're tactical for the most part, or at least in a lot of cases. And then there's contract vehicles. You know, it's it's very important that they can lead to work, but the the trick is they don't guarantee dollars to your company. They're they're basically, you know, long term and strategic, but both are really, really important. And you guys have some experience on both ends of that. And so I want to talk contract vehicles first. You know, there's a lot of work getting a contract vehicle for no guarantee of money. I mean, there's literally no guarantee of money in the contract vehicles that are out there. You know, you've been through this a few times and secured some awesome vehicles. Talk to me about which ones you went after, why you chose those, and what was involved in the process. I would distinguish vehicles that we went after as a prime and vehicles that we went after as a sub. Um, So the vehicles that we've gone after uh, are the advisor contract uh, at VA, which is the agile delivery of VA, um, imminent strategic and operational requirements, IDIQ. Um, we are, GSA is currently evaluating our, well, was Mobis, now professional services, SIN 874-1, but this is what you'll know is, you'll all know this is Mobis. Uh, and we're, we've gone after prime slots on both of those, and we've got a few other, uh, a few other IDIQs that are in the pipeline for us now. And then we just, just last week, uh, received a sub-award on the logistics services and strategy BPA at DOD. Uh, we're on Army's uh, Advanced Expeditionary Warfare Development IDIQ, which is a follow-on to the Army Research Lab 3 IDIQ, and we're sub on C4D. Um, we, so we, um, the reason that we went after these vehicles um, is a mix of key markets that we're already in, so vehicles that clients have used, cl- current clients have used in the past, or follow-ons to those vehicles. Um, we know that we know that customers that we like like them. Um, adv- vehicles like Advisor that are going to be strategic vehicles to fulfill key requirements for target agencies, um, in this case Veterans Affairs, and then vehicles that have a broad government applicability that are really uh, one the preferred way that many agencies will buy certain kinds of services. So if you're in uh, management consulting, you probably need to be on Mobis, and I think vehicles like Mobis and other GWACs also confer an element of credibility to your company, right? You've been in business for a certain number of years, you're on you're on a GSA schedule, your finances have been vetted, your past performance has been reviewed as relevant. I think it um, it gives you it, it's this, these sort of merit badges that say, look, you've you've achieved a certain level, and you know the conversation is worth it. Yeah. Um, the process, you know, the process that we go through to evaluate these vehicles is a mix of, you know, is it is it an important vehicle for an important customer? Is it a vehicle that, um, is it a follow-on to a vehicle that we've either been a sub on before? Um, you know, is it, you know, does it constitute a significant amount of the kind of work that we do? Um, and can we be a significant contributor to it um, as a you know, as a subcontractor? I think, you know, really it starts with, you know, does this, is the scope what we want and is it, is it going to be ta- likely to be tapped by the, the kinds of clients that we that we want to have access to? Um, I'd you know if you're just starting out or if you're really trying to take a fresh look at your contract vehicle portfolio, the the way to think about the way that I would think about what's most important to you um, is two things, right? So the first one is you've got to have something. You've got to have GSA. You've got to be on some kind of um, federal supply schedule. 
Um, if it's not if it's not Mobis, it needs to be IT70. Or uh, if you're a logistics provider, you've got to be on um, whatever LogWorld has become, also on this uh, consolidated professional services consolidated schedule zero zero corp behemoth that they've assembled out of Auburn, Washington. And the second the second category of vehicles you really need to look at are key vehicles for your key markets. So if you're in um, if you're looking at, at you know at IRS and you do IT, you know they're they're going to bundle this into one or two vehicles. Um, if you're looking at VA and you do IT and you're not on T4 next gen, you need to get on a team. Um, or good luck getting lots of work in your core competency in a target market. Um, bigger agencies like DOD have a lot more vehicles and they've got a lot more um, purchasing power spread out. Um, that's not to leave out the small vehicle, the smaller agencies who tend to order. Uh, who tend to order on GWAC. So if you do a lot of CIO support, um, even if HHS is not your target market, um, you need to be on CIO SP3. And there's an on-ramp going on right now. Um, and it's important that you that prospective clients have access to you in a way that is cost-effective for them as a customer. Right? These have you know, low fees. It's easy, the ordering procedures are easy. And the on-ramp period is straightforward, and again, it confers this element of legitimacy and, and sophistication about you as a business. Yeah, you know, I, I love everything you said about that, and I, I think it really shows the strategic mindset you guys have when you approach this. Because I, I think most companies, and you talked about, you know, when you're just starting out, most companies approach this with almost what I would call a brute force method of we're going to get into FBO or whatever it may be, you know, maybe we buy a system that sorts all these things for us, a bid matching system. We're going to get in that and brute force just bid on hundreds of one-offs. And, and that's how a lot of people approach this. And they don't look at it from the perspective of, you know, what are contract vehicles that your clients like? and use and are likely to use and fit, you know, your skills and abilities, where can you contribute and all those things that you said around that. And so I think it's very important for people listening to, to not just hear what you just said, but to go back and listen to the simplicity of it and how it's just right on the money, because that is where people will make money when they are just, when they are thinking long-term and not just short-term. So I, I really like the way you described how you guys went about it and, and the process that was involved there. Cause to, to me, I've always thought that vehicles were an important key to growth. You know, they provide focus and stability in most cases, you know, uh, and again, a lot of companies avoid GSA and any other vehicles because it's just, there's so much time in it. Actually, we have a client right now that is so busy winning contracts that it's taken her, I think she's in month 14 of working on her GSA schedule because she just doesn't have time, you know, because she's been winning other stuff. But someday she's going to wake up and go, oh, now that all those are gone, I should have done these other things. So it's just, it's super important. And so, you know, in your opinion, what are, and I know you've touched on a, a few of these already, but what are some of the most important contract vehicles that a government contractor can have in their portfolio. And again, you, you kind of bounced around a handful of different ones for different um, for different industries. But if there's if there's just some more you could touch on, that'd be great. So you, you you've got to be on GSA something, right? Probably if you're listening to this podcast, you do some kind of services, whether it's um, professional services, management services, or IT services. So you've got to be on um, Mobis. It's not Mobis anymore. It's just 874-1. But you've got to be on 874, and you've got to be on IT70 out of GSA. Um, if you don't have the time to write that proposal yourself, particularly because the solicitation requirements have changed in the last year, 
it, it's absolutely worth the seven to fifteen thousand dollars you will pay someone to write it for you. If you do a sp specific kind of service that's generally applicable in lots of different agencies, like um, like CIO support, software development, you really need to be on some of the, these government-wide acquisition contracts that are for that. So these are your CIO SP3s, these are your VETS 2s, these are your Alliance. Um, Oasis uh, would have been a good one uh, if you could have gotten on it. So with the follow-on to Oasis, I think it's going to be really important uh, when that's announced in a couple of years. And then you need to you need to look at your key market. Like where, for each agency that you're in, what are they actually ordering on? So, you know, if you are in, let's say, um, let's say if you're in, you know, you want to do work in VA, I think I mentioned, uh, if you do anything with information technology and you're not on T4 Next Gen, you miss the boat and you kind of find a way to get on one of those teams. The OPM runs uh, a government-wide acquisition contract that anybody can order from that if you do any kind of HCATs, if you do any kind of um, human capital or training work, that's where you want to be. And every, anybody can order off of that. If you're in the Army, you do anything, ex if you do work in the Army, you do anything expeditionary um, or any kind of work that's connected to anybody, any forces outside of operating, operating outside the United States, particularly in a concept of exploration or um, new technology development focus, you need to be working with the Army Research Lab on some of their vehicles. Um, these are just some examples. I mean, every agency is going to have their own um, their own specific vehicles just for them for um, strategic buckets of support. And I, I hate to tell people to go to the, 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 the sort of Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization and Agency, but a very focused question like, what are the big vehicles at this agency is really helpful because then you can take that information, go find out who the primes are using things like um, you know, FPDSNG or USA Spending, which are the same data set, uh, or a service like GovWin or GovTribe, uh, and, and start to pitch the, your value proposition as a prospective team member. And then you can use that to, to target the customers within the agency who are actually ordering on these vehicles. Yeah, no, I think that's super important. And, you know, I think when you when you look at calling any office of small business of any sort, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Some are going to be awesome and some are going to be awful. It's just the way it is. But everyone should be able to answer the question, you know, what are the main contract vehicles that they're using to buy my services? They should be able to answer that. So even if it's not a great office that can help you and kind of push you through some things, that's going to be a question that's super important. So I, I, wanted, I wanted to say one quick thing about GSA schedules. Um, you know, we've both talked about, you know, the time to fill it out. Something I didn't realize until we actually walked through this with a client a few years ago is the GSA actually refreshes the whole contract proposal process once a year, once every 15, 18 months, something like that. And if you get caught outside that window, guess what? You're starting over. So it's one thing to, to waste a lot of time working on this. You just you don't want to throw that away by missing that window because you're working on other stuff. So if you got to pay, like like Chris said, the seven to $15,000 for somebody to come in and do it, it's better than just wasting months and months and months and not getting anywhere and having it refreshed on you. So, so, so really good stuff there. So I think for a lot of companies, this happens all the time. Once you win a vehicle such as advisor or even a GSA schedule, you know, many companies think money will just rain down from the heavens. What's been your experience with this? 
I think of vehicles and direct contracts a lot like farming and hunting. So just because you've cleared the plot of farmland, that's your vehicle. You actually have to plow the field, sow the seeds, water your field, and then eventually, and eventually harvest. So just because you've um, you've won a spot on the vehicle just means that you're you're in a limit, a smaller pool to compete again, generally speaking. And that means that you you need to continue to run a tight proposal shop. You need to continue to demonstrate value. You need to always be sharp on your pricing. And you, you need to go out and market the vehicle to prospective customers. Um, ultimately, obviously, the choice of um, what vehicle to use if you're going to use a vehicle is the purview of the contracting officer exclusively. But if your customer doesn't have a preferred contracting office and you know that you can steer their work to your vehicle or help them do that, that's the kind of information that's useful. You know, program program managers love to work with contracting offices who understand their needs and who um, can help them get the support they need in a timely way, provided, of course, that the, the program office is responsible and, and thorough in their own requirements documentation and things like that. Um, but that's an area where you can influence. Um, as, you help, as you help identify kind of solutions to these problems, you go from a vehicle, which is really, you know, the government's buying sort of blanket support to solve a general type of problem or several types of problem, you know, into the task order or even direct workspace that's really focused on solving a specific problem within that broader scope. And, you know, that's where the, um, the you know, that's how we try to differentiate ourselves is by really focusing on helping customers solve problems or identify what the solution could be uh, and then flowing that through into the procurement process so that we're really as well positioned as we can be in order to understand not only the problem itself um, but how they've thought through different solutions and um, what solutions are going to be most valuable. So to kind of to, to loop back here, you still have to sell. It's just a little easier um, than if you didn't have the vehicle already. There are things that you don't have to do, like demonstrate that your pricing is fair and reasonable. Sometimes you don't have to submit past performance questionnaires anymore, although I've seen some agencies start to require that after 18 months or two years on a five-year vehicle. Um, and the ordering procedures can be more straightforward. So instead of taking 90 or 120 days or even a year to get something, to get some kind of direct work, even a big task order, uh, you know, like 10, 15, 30 million dollars can go out on any of these um, vehicles, whether they're a GSA schedule or an IDIQ within an agency. This, I mean, these can go out the door kind of from the time the client, your client gives the contracting office money to the time that you get an award. I mean, that could take less than 60 days. Wow. Um, yeah, no, I, I think the, the, the example you gave is a beautiful illustration for people to, to really grasp, you know, that, that whole field concept. Cause I think people, again, if, if you're listening to this, it's not to say you're wrong. It's to say that maybe, maybe you haven't been given the right information on this because I think most people are, are taught that you know when you get a contract vehicle you've bought a field that's already been plowed it's already been planted it's already been watered it's literally ready for harvest and i think that's the perception most people have they think they've bought the harvestable if that's a word the harvestable field instead of ground they have to work and that's where they really have to understand that that's right you've really bought what you've really bought is a license to hunt on a game preserve and as opposed to just wandering the wilderness with no boundaries. Yeah. So that, that's that's a perfect example that people really need to wrap their head around. And it, it just it, – but you have, you know, 
you've limited how many people can be on that reserve with you. Instead of just out in the open market with, you know, a million other contractors, you've limited it to X number of, of whatever it is. So really good distinction there. So I, I also think, you know, another challenge that people have is once you have a few vehicles under your belt, I think it's really easy to ignore what I would call outside opportunities. You know, you almost wind up treating the vehicle itself as basically your security blanket and burying your head in the sand. How do you guys balance staying focused on the task orders that are coming down from your contract vehicles while also continuing to look for additional outside opportunities? I think what helps us is that, you know, we work backwards from a growth target. Um, So if you have a certain amount of uh, revenue you want to, you want to achieve a run rate you want to achieve at the by a certain point in time you know kind of what the average size of proposal that you'll bid is you can work backwards from your um, from your average win rate um, into how many proposals you need to submit once you understand once you know how how your pipeline works you know how many opportunities you have to identify and qualify before you actually get to ones that you're ready to bid and so, you know, if you need to win, if you need to win, say, six proposals, you know, six $1 million opportunities some point in that year, probably you need to look at 100 to 150 opportunities throughout the year in order to really fill that pipeline right. So, you know, the way we think about looking at what comes out on a vehicle versus direct opportunities, you have to, you have to add them into the pipeline. And just because it's not a vehicle doesn't mean it's not a base in three or four option years. Um, it doesn't mean it's not good, stable, long, longish-term work. And the great thing about this is you're not you're not you're not hamstrung or tied up based on the rates you bid on a vehicle three years ago. So if the market's gone in a different direction, you have the flexibility to um, propose different labor categories, different skill mixes, use different rate mixes that you know better reflect the realities of the market today, uh, and then you can use that to justify uh, rate changes on your GSA schedule. You can use that to substantiate your pricing on future vehicles, um, all kinds of things like this. And I mean, remember, if, if winning a new vehicle is just like clearing a field or buying a hunting license. Getting, you know, bidding on direct work is you're, that you're tracking an animal today, right? That's, you will, you know, if you're successful, you will hire staff, uh, either for that work or, you know, to replace staff that you've transitioned over, and you will start collecting revenue, which, I mean, at the end of the day, revenue is the only thing that comes, that turns into cash. And that's the only thing that matters in a business. Right. You know, that's a super important distinction that you made there uh, a couple of different times about being able to use a new contract win to go back to GSA, to go back and, and look at different things and justify new rates, you know, changes in the market and things like that. It, you know, you can actually use a short term tactical win of a one off contract strategically long-term to grow the other stuff you're doing. And and again, I, I think what you said, it sounds so simple that I think people could have just glossed right over that. And that's why I want to emphasize the brilliance behind using it for that purpose, not just revenue. I mean, revenue is great, but if you can use that to influence other things long-term, that is a bigger win than just a million dollar contract with a couple of option years. I mean, that can literally impact everything across the board. So huge distinction there. Again, I think a lot of companies don't think that way. So I I appreciate you sharing that with us. So because a lot of companies look at contracts or the grind and, you know, contract vehicles are are the big win, but there's more to it when you start to break it down like this. So as we start to wrap up here, 
I want to take a slight detour here at the end and talk a little bit about the ultimate business in game because we've been talking about these contract vehicles and this mix of revenue. And for most people, selling their business, getting acquired, that is an ultimate end game for a lot of people. You guys have actually been part of successfully selling a company. And so I think you could shed some light on some things for our listeners. Uh, again, many companies start with this you know, this goal in mind of selling. So if someone's listening today and their end goal is selling the business, how does the, the revenue mix of contract vehicles versus one-offs, how does that impact a company valuation when you're going into, into a cycle like that? So it's big. Um, there's uh, the, the number one thing that all of your valuation is going to be based on is your earnings, right? This is your EBITDA, right? Your earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Depending on how complex your business is, you're going to have more of the last two than the, than others. Um, but what we've seen in this market over the last couple of years is valuations have actually ranged quite a lot from three to eight times earnings. And the things that drive that, other than like what the net cash coming out of the business before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization are, is kind of what the sort of the quality. And I'll give, there's sort of four dimensions to that. I'll run through those now. The first dimension is, you know, prime work is better than sub work, always. Um, you know, if, you're, if your earnings are all from prime contracts, that's, that's more valuable to an acquirer. Um, full and open is always more valuable than, a set, than set-aside work. Set-aside programs are great uh, sort of hand-ups, right, to get you on your feet, get your get you calls. But if you want to really sell, you've got to transition into full and open. Vehicles are more valuable than one-offs because vehicles are umbrellas for one-offs. Uh, vehicles make it make it easier to get um, a tighter return on your bid proposal dollars because it just doesn't take as much effort to respond to a task order proposal request um, as it does to do a completely new uh, proposal for a full and for a kind of a one-off uh, direct award solicitation. And the last, the last, the fourth dimension here is uh, the sort of the clearance level of the work. Uh, cleared work is always better than unclassified work. Um, sort of these barriers, these are called corporate barriers to entry. Um, and then, you know, work at the TS level or even in the intelligence community, sort of TSSCI, um, the CIA clearance stuff, that's better than just secret work. Uh, but anything that gives you, that establishes some kind of additional barrier to entry that further restricts competition is better. So, you know, if you're able to get on vehicles that have some kind of classification requirement, that's that's even better. So you start to, to wrap this up, right? Prime, you want things that are more prime than sub, more full and open than set aside, um, more, you want more vehicles in your portfolio, or you want lots of, you still want a significant percentage of your work to come from vehicles, or you want to have a good number of vehicles in your stable anyway. And then you, there is a preference uh, in valuation for classified contracts versus unclassified contracts. Or, and by that I mean it's got like a DD-254 that says that the work can be up to X clearance level, not that the contract itself is in the shadow world. Hmm. And, and so by, by following your advice on that, you start to move closer to that, you know, eight times valuation versus closer to the three times, right? I, I mean, that's essentially what you're doing by, by following that formula. You're, you're moving the ticker down towards that end of the scale, which is what you want. You know, if you built a million dollar business and you're only going to make three million out of it, you know, it, great, you're going to have to go back to work. But, you know, if you've built a million dollar business and you're going to get eight, 10, some other, you know, factor out of that, 
that's where you're going to start to really create some freedom for yourself and your family. So I think that's a, that's a big distinction there. All great stuff, Chris. I super just love all the stuff you guys come up with. It, it's really customer centric. It's very focused on the strategic mindset, all really good stuff. Any final thoughts for our listeners on anything we've talked about here? Yeah, I mean, I think of a couple of things. You know, if you're if you're you know a business owner, either partial or or total, is there, I mean, there's really a handful of things you got to keep in mind, or you've got to understand really what your why what your objective is as business. Right? If you're trying to run a lifestyle business, you know, then maybe you don't care so much about whether you're on closer to the three x or eight x side of the of the earnings. Right? You just care about how much money am I taking home at the end of the day. But if you're really trying to build and sell. You know, you've really got to start to understand where you are in the maturity level. Right? Are you a true startup, just proving a concept? You're small, but you're sustainable. Or you're like a mature small business that's on the cusp of going from into to the majority prime, cracking it more full and open kind of work. Uh, and that's real, uh, starts to be a function of, you know, how much of your time as a as a leader is spent doing sales, and how much how much of your your business development and capture function. Um, is being executed organically, either by dedicate a dedicated staff or by a mix of dedicated staff and your and kind of your delivery side leaders. Um, you really you have to understand what's going on, but with cash and cash flow in your business, and you got to compare that to the government sales cycle. You know, these things can be so long. You know, putting all your eggs in a vehicle basket, unless you're sitting on a fat, you know, Lord of the Rings dragon sized gold pot, it's just not. You're just not going to get there. So you, this underscores the value of these um, kind of direct work um, opportunities outside of vehicle task orders because they they build your cash position which allows you to be strategic and make pursuits of vehicles make those investments you gotta know where your relationships are and I think this ties back into how do you pick the vehicles that you're gonna go after um, you know if you've got lots of relationships that are smalls that points you in one direction if you're focused on if you have a lot of relationships you know with sort of mid-size and larger prime contractors that May push you into a different vehicle set, but if you've got tons of you know specific government client relationships uh, and some special status or something like that, maybe that points you in a different direction. Um, and you've got to know back to my second point about you know what your BNP function looks like. Are you better at in-person selling or writing proposals? Um, and that will drive how you spend your time. So you have to. This is a lot to balance. You kind of got to put it all in your uh, kind of four-compartment picnic plate. Uh, and remember that you're in this business to to grow it, and the, you don't make investments that send you into cash flow negative. Um, don't bankrupt the business is probably the first rule of running a business, and I would encourage everyone to think, keep that in the the back of your mind, on your shoulder, just kind of whispering in your ear as you're evaluating vehicles. Like, are we is this are we really going to be able to capture? What we need to out of this, given the cost, what it's going to cost us to act to potentially acquire it, or, you know, is it is it too risky? And we should focus on either smaller vehicles or waiting until the kinds of vehicles that we really want uh, come up for recompete in two three years, and in the meantime pursue partnerships with folks who are on those vehicles um, and direct work with clients that we know we can add terrific value to their mission. Yeah, no, I, I love all that. And I think, you know, some companies need a banner that just says don't bankrupt the business. And that should be, you know, in, in everybody's office, don't bankrupt the business. So all good stuff, Chris. Thank you so much for all the wisdom on this. I look forward to having you back on. Just thank you so much for coming on today and just and just providing a, a great bunch of wisdom for us. Mike, thanks for having me on uh, RSM's Game Changers podcast. I'm really happy to be here.
Uh, and I hope things continue to go well for you. Yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And uh, I also want to take a minute to thank our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn more about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers. We'll have links to their website, social media, and contact information. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode. Episode, the Federal Access Program at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how you can find and win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash Game Changers.